0: Please fasten your seat belts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax and enjoy your flight on No Blackout Days. No Blackout Days. No Blackout Days. So if somebody wants to take over Antarctica They just gotta go down there and take out the two medical staff and then they pretty much have a run of the show at that point.
1: If you care enough to lay siege to Antarctica, you gotta respect that move almost. Just just be like, hey, well played, take it, it's yours.
2: If you're talking about like a terrorist, it is the hardest place to get to and the least influential. Half the people on my TikTok don't even think the South Pole exists in the first place and you say you just took it over as a terrorist, like nobody's gonna give a shit.
1: What is up guys? Welcome to No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. And here's a question for you. Have you ever wondered what it's like to live on the South Pole? Well, our guest today did and then uh, he moved there to find out. We're talking to Joe Hornman, a YouTuber and TikToker who is currently based in Antarctica. Beautiful this time of year. He's living on the South Pole, documenting the whole experience, pretty wild stuff. We'll be talking all about what it's like living in one of the coldest and most remote places in the world. But first, Tim, let's get right into hot takes. I hear you have some absolute door slammers for me.
0: Yes, I do. They're both, uh, they're both massive door slammers and they're both based off of my weekend experience this last weekend, Evan. So the first one, uh, we're starting off with food, which I know is a good topic that you're into. So on Saturday, for the first time since before COVID, I went to a buffet, which is apparently up and running now in Colorado. There are buffets. So I went to a Chinese buffet. It was pretty good. I had a good time, whatever. The food was, was fine. But yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to a Chinese buffet. I'm sure you have because you're a buffet guy like me. Have you ever noticed when you're at a Chinese buffet, they have pizza and chicken fingers and french fries and my question for you evan and i think i know the answer but i'm going to make you admit it anyway do you take these things when you're at the chinese buffet
1: of course i eat the pizza what who, do you know me at all do we do you not is this our first conversation together do you are, are you like confused about whether i i'm gonna take f- a free slice of pizza in any circumstance if it's offered to me like what what, what is this do you have to go to like a, a peer mediation or something I mean, what do you do? Do you, do you take the, um, the pizza or what?
0: I will admit that I have in the past taken French fries and onion rings at a Chinese buffet. This time I was like, no, that's going to cut into my noodle consumption. I'm not doing it.
1: By chicken thing You asked if I took the chicken fingers. Do you take the like Kung Pao chicken? General sauce Chicken. So sure. you take that, sure. okay, but not sure. the chicken fingers. That's where you draw, you draw the line well, at chicken you, fingers. You
0: can't get that at like you know your standard bar and grill. You're not getting Kung Pao Chicken.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. I and I, I would not go to a Chinese buffet and exclusively eat like pizza or chicken fingers. But is it part of the uh, assortment? Is it is it dish number one? No, it's not dish number one. Is it dish number four? Yeah, it's dish number four. Let's talk about that. How do you structure your dish your uh, your meal intake at a Chinese buffet because you go up at least three to four times, right?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I generally start with a plate and I make, I usually have one plate. The first helping is a plate of salad. And then I have a plate where I make a base of noodles, a base of random toppings for those noodles that include most of those Chinese items that we've already mentioned. But then by the time I get through the buffet, my relatively organized noodle plate has become a, a smorgasbord of random things like spring rolls, sushi, uh, sweet and sour sauce. All of these other things that have kind of conglomerated to create something that you can only get. It's I call it the Chinese buffet effect. Like you're never going to get this combination of flavors anywhere else.
1: The Chinese buffet. effect. I love that. Your carefully constructed edifice of dishes one through three really just comes crumbling down. Doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You start, you go in there, you're like, okay, like I'm going to do it like this, but then by the time you get through, everything has gone out the window
1: that's where the french fries come in that's where the pizza comes in that's where the i mean dish six when you get to when when you get into no man's land and dish six that's when the ice cream comes in when those weird little desserts that you like don't really have names those little cake things that's where that stuff starts to show up
0: yeah yeah well it was a good experience it felt good to be back at a buffet we'll see if they're still open in a month but uh felt good to be there so my my next question was on sunday the second part of my weekend I decided that I need a new hat and I need a new pair of pants for the winter because it's about to become fall here in Colorado. So I did what everybody in the 90s, what every good 90s kid does, and I went to the mall. Uh, and it was horrible, horrible experience. I walked around. I went into Zoomies. I went into PacSun. I went into all of my standbys. And I can't find anything there anymore. And you want to know what I did, Evan? I literally sat down in one of the seats in the hallway of the mall and weps and i ordered clothes on the internet and my my question for you here is can you outgrow the mall
1: first of all this is not a sponsored ad for zoomies or packs on hashtag no free promos can you outgrow the mall is a tough question for me because i've never been a mall guy i didn't live in a town where people went and hung out at the mall so I don't know if did you Tim that that is that what people did when you were in like high school. People go to the mall.
0: Oh yeah, I grew I grew up in a I grew up in a very standard American suburb where the mall was a prime destination that you went.
1: The mall, yeah, the closest mall to me is like thirty minutes away. Like no one, no one hung out at the mall, so that's a little tougher for me. But that's the social aspect. We're we're talking about the uh, the business aspect, going to actually find stuff. So I I think that you can outgrow not the mall maybe but i think you can outgrow fashion trends so when you were going into pax on tim i bet the clothes there struck you as clothes like a millennial might wear but not not a distinguished older gentleman like yourself
0: that's correct and you, you, what really was upsetting to me was the fact that these stores have abandoned me i can no longer count on them to dress myself because they don't care about me anymore they care about the 17 year olds
1: exactly and now did a that tear roll down your cheek, a single tear as you were sitting there in the comfortable massage chair at Brookstone ordering clothes online. Almost. I will. The one thing I will say about malls is that I love food courts to tie it back to the buffet thing. You just feel like you can get a little bit of everything if you want it. You know, you do a, you do a single pass by the guy handing out free chicken. You do a second pass wearing a different shirt. So you get more free chicken. You do a third pass, you know, with a hood over your face, so you get a third piece of free chicken. Then maybe you hit up Burger King, maybe hit up the Saberos. I mean, you just get, by the, the time you're out of there, you've already basically had a buffet experience for like 16 bucks max. So I, I, I'm a big food court guy. I don't think I'll ever outgrow the food court, but I do understand exactly what you're saying about outgrowing stores or maybe stores outgrowing you.
0: They undergrew me. Like they went to the people that are younger than me. They stayed the same, but, they, yeah, but the people that, yeah, but today's 17 year olds aren't wearing Blink one eighty two T shirts and and Hurley hats like I was like and that's what you used to be able to get at these places now right. it's whatever these seventeen year olds are wearing so they did change they just stayed for the same target demographic,
1: uh, and you didn't change with the times Tim you just stayed the same so yeah maybe you have a little self self exploration to do here
0: I'm constantly reminded of this by my wife <laughs> that I still dress like a '90s skater kid so I, I need to grow up is the is the moral of the story. But I'll never go to the mall again. That's the (laughs) end of that for me.
1: Well, speaking of your most recent experience at the mall, kind of in the same vein, Tim, my first hot take for you is how much solitude could you take before going insane? And this is inspired by our guest today who lives on the South pole, but how much alone time could you process before you would just go absolutely
0: nuts? I don't know because I've never hit that. but I will say that it's a lot higher now than it was when I was younger. Like I used to be very social. I can't imagine uh, having not gone out all the time when I was younger and stuff like that. So I I think that travel actually has made me become more okay being by myself because traveling a lot alone for work. uh, I've done a fair amount of solo travel internationally outside of work and that those experiences have combined to make me much more, okay with being by myself, figuring it out by myself, and just, you know, going to a restaurant by myself, all of these things, I actually enjoy it now. Uh, And I didn't when I was younger.
1: Well, I have a friend who's in the process of selling his house and buying a van to travel across the country for a year and a half. And his goal is to pursue astrophotography. So he wants to live in this van alone, travel around the country, and try to develop his astrophotography career and what struck me about that is just how isolating that is and how lonely it is especially in a year when you don't know what COVID is going to allow and disallow in terms of social uh, opportunities in the various places you're going to end up and that's just something i could never do i would go crazy living in a van by myself for a month let alone a year and a half
0: see i think i could do it i i, I would like to do that actually now i think i, I would be able to and keep myself occupied and be engaged and find social situations when I need to, but otherwise be alone.
1: Well, my next hot take for you is do you feel a different type of drunk depending on what alcohol you drink?
0: I think so. I don't, I've always, I don't know. I've never been one of those people that is like, Oh, I can't, you know, I can't drink whiskey because I get violent or whatever. I don't really subscribe to that. You're violent all the time, but uh, I don't know. I, I do think there's a difference between drinking beer, hard liquor, and wine. I think there there are noticeable differences between those three things as a whole.
1: And what and for you, how does that manifest?
0: Uh, probably in terms of being hungover, <laughs> most noticeably. Maybe that's why I mostly stick to beer. But
1: the but the kind of drunk, the feeling you get when you're on that buzz, is that the same across those three types of alcohol?
0: Maybe it's easier to sustain uh, the happy feeling of feeling loose when you're drinking beer uh, without going over the top.
1: Tim, I'm trying to get you to say that you're an angry drunk on whiskey, a spiritual drunk on vodka, uh, a a basic white girl drunk on tequila, sexually adventurous on rum, you know, 50 50 shades of Tim is what I'm trying to get at here, but you're not taking my bait. So, okay. I mean, I, I used to subscribe to this whole thing that you, you get different kinds of drunk depending on what you're drinking. And then I read this study online that said it's all bullshit that different liquors don't actually produce different kinds of drunk, which is an absolute revelation for me. It was like being told Santa doesn't exist for the first time.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I will say that uh, as I've gotten older, I've I've certainly learned how to, you know, just stick to beer and uh, and feel pretty good and not hate myself the next day.
1: All right, moral of this whole story, Tim, big beer guy, has no time for liquor, basically, or this question. If he's not drinking, if you're looking for Tim, you can't find him, and he's not at the local brewery, he's probably at son So look for him there. That's right. Well, we're going to get right into the interview with Joe. He's coming to us from the South Pole. We're excited to get into it. We will see you guys on the other side. Joe has spent the past few months living on the South Pole and plans to be there until November, I believe. Jesus Christ. That's correct. He has a YouTube and a TikTok channel where he documents his experience, and we've been following his adventures. And we're pumped to catch up with him today. Joe, welcome to the No Blackout Dates podcast all the way from Antarctica.
2: Hey, man. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, do this for you guys. Um, Sounds like you guys have an interesting show, and I couldn't wait to be on.
0: I think you're the I think you're the farthest away person that we've had on the show so far. Yeah, this sure. would
2: probably be about as far away as you could get, unless you're somewhere in the Indian Ocean, maybe. I don't know.
1: That's our next one, Tim. That's that's, that's see. I thought this was the most remote, but now that I know that we can do that, maybe we'll uh we'll just ax we'll axe this whole interview, and then we'll just go to the, go to do a remote island in the Indian Ocean.
0: Yeah, we'll get somebody from North Sentinel Island to come on and talk about why they fire arrows at boats.
1: Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Good reference. So, Joe, why did you decide to go to Antarctica in the first place? I think it's the question on everybody's mind. Sure.
2: Um, So it's weird. Actually, I've thought about Antarctica since I was a kid. And I think it's because I always had a, um, you know, growing up in my house, my parents had this whole wall that was like a wallpaper of the world. It was like, you know, eight feet by 15 feet. It was like the whole world map. And it just seemed like everything was so explored, you know, like everything, people had set foot, set down civilization just about everywhere, except Antarctica. And the thought of coming here and just walking where nobody else had walked ever before in the history of mankind just was kind of thrilling to me. also, it's super rugged, super hard to just live here. Like we're not supposed to be here. Like nature doesn't want us to be here, um, just by the harshness of the environment. And uh, there's always a challenge and, and something, something really cool. It's kind of like going to space. Not quite as cool, probably, but um, you know, it's
1: just one of those really out there things. We've talked about this on the show before, but there's something kind of romantic, isn't there, about being in a corner of the globe that is unexplored or nearly undiscovered. And it's so hard to find real adventure these days that isn't overrun by tourism and Instagram Mm -hmm. posts. And I think our Antarctica is one of those final frontier kind of places. And that's what makes it attractive. It certainly is. There certainly is a good uh, amount of romance to it. Just like you said.
0: What, what was the reaction of some of the people in your life when you told them (laughs) that you had secured this contract?
2: You know, actually, uh, it was it's really strange it was pretty much about 50 50 maybe 60 40 60 being um people that just didn't get it like like their first reaction was why you know and that at first the first couple of people i got that from it really just puzzled me because i've always had the mentality like why not like this is the most amazing opportunity i could ever get you know and then for the other 40 percent just got it and um i think that's really just what it comes down to if it doesn't if it doesn't excite you and make sense to you immediately, um, I can't explain it to you.
1: Yeah. Do you ever use that as a barometer to figure out who you're going to get along with as a friend and who isn't like (laughs) who you, who, who gets it and who doesn't? Yeah, actually kind of,
2: kind of. So, um, it's a very good, like either, either we're on the same page or we're not. Um, and there's definitely people I grew up with that didn't quite get it, but they're going to be my friends anyway. But, um, I think, if I told this story to somebody in the future, and immediately they were just pumped about it, I'm like, okay, you you and I get each other, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's I, I did a trip to the Svalbard in the Arctic a few years ago, and oh yeah, nice. It was okay. like April, so around like spring break time, and everyone I knew was going to Cancun and you know the Caribbean, and people were like, oh yeah, like so where you going on this trip? It's like oh it's like above the Arctic Circle, and people just looked at me like like why. And it's the same kind of thing. My reaction was what you just said. It's like, if I can't explain to you why I think that's cool or (laughs) why it's a a place where like a few hundred people live, northernmost settlement in the world, like why that's cool. I don't know. I don't know if we're on the same page. I don't know if we're going to get each other on this. Now, if you told me that I'd be like,
2: yeah, man, that's hella cool. Like I got it. I get it immediately. Yeah.
0: So let's look let's talk a little bit about what specifically is going on where you are and what you're doing. What, like, what is the workload on antarctica
2: well first of all we had to make friends with all the aliens and then we had to go delving into all the pyramids as expected all the good stuff um a workload for my job personally versus like the same job back in the states or sorry i cut you off i was too excited to talk about the aliens
0: just just the scene like what are you doing and what is everybody doing around you
2: sure So my job um, is a physician assistant, a PA. uh, And so I work here, it's just me and a doctor, just the two of us, no nurses, no other staff in the medical clinic. Um, And we are the sole medical providers for the 37 other people on station, um, which are all heavily screened. We're all heavily screened beforehand, um, health-wise before we come down here. Like uh, you gotta have everything, uh, you know, like everything checked on you. Just make sure you're not gonna, lower the risk of you having an emergency while you're here. So our workload is pretty light. It's all just uh, coughs, colds, or honestly, not even that so much because we quarantined for so long because of COVID on the way down here. So we really kind of eliminated a lot of the other bugs that could get here. So um, we do a lot of emergency training. That's the main reason we're here is for any major emergencies, um, is to have two medical people on staff. Um, Like, yeah, we run the clinic for people that need things day to day as well. But the main reason we're here is like anything catastrophic happening um so the workload is pretty light uh we see a couple patients a week um whereas back in the er back home you know like you know 20 30 patients a day it was the norm so uh as far as what's going
1: on around here let me interrupt real quick uh so do you if you ever were injured yourself or you and that other doctor went out exploring which i'm sure you guys don't really do and then both got injured. Everyone else on the base is like, "Oh, we're <laughs> fucked." Like those are our two doctors. Pretty like, much, that's it. they have to have you have to live in like a plastic bubble. Pretty much, if
2: we were incapacitated
1: or killed,
2: yeah, basically, then they're we're, they're kind of screwed.
1: So your your lives are a premium down there.
2: Something like that. You, you, there's an argument to be made that we're we're our lives are premium, but there's also the argument to be made that you know I have the most useless job on station because honestly, a doctor. Could feasibly take care of the entire station himself, but I'm here in case something happens to the doctor. You're going to talk yourself out of a job right now. <laughs> no, I doubt it. No. So the thing is, the uh, the thing is it's happened before where a doctor's gotten a critical patient where they're just, you know, burnt out for weeks taking care of them and they just, they were the only person qualified to do it. And um, basically the USA Antarctic program is like, listen, for the salary, we can pay a PA to come down here. It makes much, much more sense than... Trying to arrange a mid-winter
1: medevac, which is insane. And when you talk about a major a medical emergency, what what are you talking about? So is that people going out and having an accident on a glacier? Like what is that? So
2: mean? major major medical emergency would be some sort of um, mandatory surgery that has to happen. Um, some sort of like a fra- open fracture, which would be like a fracture where the bone's coming through the skin. Um, the problem is anything serious enough, it's like a heart attack or a stroke or something. By the time we know that they're going to die or not from it, there's no way to get a medevac in there that fast. Uh, like three weeks is basically minimum for getting, but getting a plane in here to get somebody out. Not only that, but you've got to send two teams just in case something happens to the first team. So the second team can rescue the first team. So the logistics are insane. Um, the amount of preparation and work it takes to get get one person out of here to the, during the winter is uh, is crazy.
0: So if somebody wants to take over Antarctica, they just got to go down there and take out the two medical staff, and then they pretty much have a run of the show <laughs> at that point. Sure, I think they might
2: run into some resistance. But I mean, I think the the major hurdle to actually coming down here and taking over the station is actually just getting here, um, because like I said, in the winter wintertime, uh, your plane is probably just going to fall out of the sky unless you have some serious modification, like a special plane and modifications, even to that plane to be able to fly in negative 80,
1: negative 90 Fahrenheit. If you care enough to lay siege to Antarctica, like logistically, just have it, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta respect that move almost. Yeah. Just just be like, Hey, Hey, well, well played, take it. It's yours.
2: And that's the thing. Like people ask that all the, like on my TikTok all the time, like, what, how would you stop someone from just coming in there and taking over? I'm like, I was like, if you're talking about like a terrorist, like it is the hardest place to get to and the least influential place. Like most people, like half the people on my TikTok don't even think the South Pole exists in the first place. And you say you just took it over as a terrorist, like nobody's gonna give a shit, you know?
0: There's not that many people to terrorize. You You
1: just have to shake his hand and say, "Well played, sir." Yeah, well played. Come and get some coffee. Okay. And what is the main work being done by people at your station? Good.
2: I got sidetracked on the medical stuff. So what most people are doing here. so most people actually living on station are not scientists, which some people find surprising. Um, uh, most people here support staff, like medical, chefs, electricians, plumbers, like people that keep the station running. But the whole reason the station is here is for the, let's see, how many major science experiments do we have going on? At least five or six the biggest ones are the South Pole Telescope, which looks at the cosmic microwave background, like the like kind of the um, the leftovers from the Big Bang out in the out in the universe. To discover patterns with it and discover kind of like how our universe came to be, that's the main mission of the um, of the South Pole Telescope. I'm not sure how science oriented your guys' podcast is, but a few years ago there was kind of some big science news about how we got the first image of the black of a black hole. I don't know if you guys were ever privy to that or heard about that. Yeah, but um, South Pole Telescope actually was one of the collective of telescopes, one of the nine, I think, around the world that contributed to that image. Um, So there's a couple different astronomy, like big, big deal astronomy experiments, some of the most, like, basically premier astronomy in the world. And that's partially because our skies are so clear, Um, like our, like we have the most clear days of any place on Earth. And also the thing is during uh, the winter, we have the polar night. So the sun's down for six months out of the year, we basically have nighttime for six months straight. So an un Adult unblocked view of the night sky for six months straight, which is invaluable for um, some of the astronomy done done here.
1: Okay, so it is it is you're you're in twenty four hours of darkness right now.
2: Right, Um, we the sun actually rises on the autumnal equinox, like September twenty first, which is only about three weeks from now. So we're starting to see a good bit of like orange glow on the horizon, um, but no actual disc of the sun yet.
1: So how does that affect your body and your mood? <laughs> you know,
2: it's funny actually. For the first two and a half, three months, like I was fine. Like I didn't didn't bother me at all. Like I'm kind of a night owl anyway. Like, um, but then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, my body just felt like if my body was trying to shut down and hibernate. Like normally, I I do fine on six, seven hours of sleep at night. Suddenly, I was needing like ten to twelve hours of sleep at night, and I wanted to take a nap during the day. Like I, it just felt like. I my body wanted to sleep all the time and hibernate um and I just I was wondering I was like what is this and I just realized like oh I just haven't seen the sun in forever um we do have sun lamps we have a greenhouse with uh full spectrum light in it as well um but it's just not the same
1: I would I would imagine that for some people that's pretty tough like getting like seasonal affective disorder and it just turns everyone who lives there into like into like a an emo 90s kid you know everyone starts (laughs) dressing in black and moping around and listening to mayday parade you know
0: <laughs> i mean i on that note what's what what is the scene like down there like what are the amenities on the base that you have to do like if you weren't doing a podcast interview right now what would you be doing
2: actually it's uh i gotta admit i actually forgot what time i was coming on here and um i started going i was in the gym working out for like about 45 minutes and i'm like oh shit i gotta
1: go do this podcast I had to get a pump in. Had to get a pump in before the podcast. I had to get a you pump in to, before I get
2: off, on camera, you know. So there's a there's a weight room, and then there's like uh, about a almost a full size gym, like basketball gym, where we play a lot of volleyball. Um, I even started playing some badminton and pickleball recently. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of movie nights. A lot of events we do um sometimes there's like a mystery murder the- dinner theater we some people put on or something like that like just random events
1: um, <laughs> the antarctica version of murder mystery people get people get murdered and no one no one ever was <laughs> we was, just play among it. us down here and <clears throat> yeah. the chips fall well where they may yeah
2: hey less patience for me
1: to worry about every week you let one of the researchers that's like not pulling their weight you like let them out onto the ice like onto a glacier and everyone <laughs> just like hunts for them from like a turret and then that's that's sport <laughs>
2: yeah it's the most dangerous game yeah yep. yeah yeah so almost a full-size gym a weight room um, we've got a sauna a dry sauna um, I guess we turn it into a steam room half the time um, we've got a craft room which has a lot of stuff and packed into a small space like uh, sewing needlecraft woodworking a lot of video gaming happens down here too um,
1: it sounds like a blast honestly
2: <laughs> yeah I mean a lot of it is just there for us to help keep our sanity
0: is there like a happy hour scene where people are like, "Hey, let's meet up at five and have a beer and and uh, you know decompress from the workday?"
2: For sure, um, yeah, definitely people do that. The thing is, uh, everybody's schedules all over the place, so sometimes you'll just, you know, you'll wake up to go to the bathroom at like five in the morning and you just see like people just kind of raging in one of the rooms or whatever, you know, like. But yeah, definitely, um, you can you can buy alcohol from the store. It's rationed, so nobody gets too out of control, um, and. I'd say I actually definitely agree with the rationing, um, because the amount you're allowed to have is a reasonable amount.
0: Yeah, as, as the medical guy, I would think so.
2: Yeah, yeah, And We don't want to we don't want to take care of any alcohol poisoning around here if we can, you know.
0: It it become like a detox, a detox center.
1: Isn't that how it works? Like in the in most remote, like cold places, the those people, statistically, like drink a lot more i think i heard that somewhere and i'm just gonna repeat it right now as fact because i think i heard it somewhere once
0: it's like the siberians man like drinking on the the russian trains
1: yeah
2: like i don't have it i don't have a hard reference for that either but um i've definitely heard that is like the more remote and the more dark um it's basically the most more depression inducing places are people are tend to drink more say I'd, I'd say that's true for here but people keep it under control
1: well, going off the uh the the happy hour thing is there a dating scene at all or is that the dumbest question that we've asked today like is is there you know there's not, not that many people but like is there if you're looking for it like is there like a social scene in that way
0: well
2: it's funny to say call it a social scene because just like everybody knows everybody there's 39 of us and we've been living together for you know nine months now so It it definitely can happen. So it happens in several ways. A lot of times there's somebody who is dating somebody back home and then they break up and then it's like, especially if it's a girl, because the ratio here is about four to one. So if it's a female, you know, that breaks up with her boyfriend back home or something like that. And then it's all of a sudden you see, uh, anytime, especially anytime any alcohol is involved, you see like these guys kind of like following this one girl around trying to see if they can find an inn somewhere. Um, that hasn't happened here this season. Everybody's kind of, all the women have more or less been spoken for from the beginning, so it's been a pretty stable situation. I think there's seven women on station out of 39 total, so 30
1: not great odds. Not great odds. Not great odds. Talk about being a commodity though, those seven women. Like yeah. I said there was a premium on you on you earlier. I think there's a premium on on them at this point. <laughs> yeah. Definitely they're the ones that have the premium. I'm I'm nobody down here
2: but uh what was i was gonna say there are several several gay guys as well so you got to factor that in but yeah
0: yeah pretty quiet pretty quiet dating scene down there
2: it's uh yeah i wouldn't say there's a dating scene just because everybody just knows each other too well like like if there was a hookup that was going to happen there's no like preamble there's no like let me let me take you to the galley for dinner first because it's like we all get the, we all eat the same thing and so there's no <laughs> Not a whole lot of romancing, I guess, is what I'm trying to say beforehand. So
1: there's no scene. There's just Jane and Lindsay and everyone waiting for them to break up with their boyfriends back home. That's it. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Exactly. But um everybody
2: kind of a lot of a lot of people are in stable relationships back home too. So I mean it's it's not
1: like there's thirty single guys here that are all sexually frustrated right yeah just totally confused and disappointed why they came to antarctica thinking it was going to be an absolute meat market <laughs> and wondering like what this is not this is what i expected what is this yeah no and i mean i think everybody coming down here should know that ahead of time even and that's
2: it that's what it is at all the all the antarctic stations pretty much so don't get your don't get your hopes up
1: come down here for the job don't come down here to to find love or anything i mean speaking of for the job what i think most people or travelers would want to know is how can a regular person just travel to Antarctica? It's actually not as hard as most people think. Most
2: people think it's like, oh, what degree do I need to have? Like what, like, like what kind of qualifications, what security clearance, you don't need any security clearance. I don't have a security clearance from the government. Um, and I'm working down here. Okay. I'm not employed by the military. I'm not ex-military or anything like that. And you don't need a degree. Like there's tons. So like I was saying before, like only a minority of the people on station are scientists. Uh, you basically can come down here as a blue-collar worker, or even if you just want to be a manual laborer, like a dishwasher, or be in supply, where basically you're you're receiving orders from upstairs and you're going down to the storage room and the warehouse and like bringing up the food for the next week or something like that. That doesn't take any special skill set. Um, so there's tons of just a variety of jobs. If you're a chef, um, there's definitely
1: room for you here. By chef, do you mean able to microwave? pop tarts and 90 second rice <laughs> because i might be qualified you could do that i don't think the, the staff would be very happy with you jeez high standards
2: down there definitely no there's uh our chefs right now actually are very very good we have three like top level chefs that just make amazing food every day um actually people have asked me it's like hey you ever, are you ever going to come back and i'm like i don't know are these chefs going to come back because they basically make it a hundred percent better just like cooking amazing food every day especially with our limited like options for ingredients um we we don't have any fresh fruits we barely have any fresh vegetables we have some greens from the greenhouse but that's about it you're selling me on antarctica right now i'm sold
1: i'm going you don't need fruits or vegetables
0: evan has he has lifelong scurvy he's had (laughs) scurvy since he was in grade school
1: i could go back to my like sixth grade diet and not eat fruits or vegetables yeah for sure oh yeah so where would someone apply for these jobs like where if you're someone's interested where would they go so probably the fastest way to find the openings is
2: to just google um usap usap contractors and that'll take you to a landing page on the u.s Antarctic programs website that shows you all the um, subcontractors that they work with so there's about seven or so um and they basically just cover all the different parts of running the station whether it's you know the blue collar like um, plumbing electrician stuff like that or whether it's chef whether it's whatever it is and it kind of gives a little description of what that subcontractor
1: subcontractor uh, deals with you've had a lot of success on tiktok as far as documenting the um the antarctica experience what do you think fascinates people so much about watching travel content but more specifically travel content of a place that they're more than likely never going to actually see
2: yeah i think it's Basically, what you said is like they're—they know they're never gonna see it, and it's fantastical in some way. Like they—like it looks. Half the comments on some of my videos are like, "Oh, it's like another planet," or like, "Oh man, bro, you're on the moon," or whatever. And it really feels like that. um Besides just how it looks, I mean, it does—it looks otherworldly. Like we are on, like we're at nine thousand feet, nine thousand three hundred feet here, and it's just. Flat. It is completely 100% flat for hundreds of miles in every direction from here, um, and all you see is white. You know, and it's 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 weird. It's it, you. I haven't seen I haven't seen a tree since Jan, since January. I haven't seen a bug since January. Like I haven't seen anything green besides what grows in the greenhouse for you know since January. Like it, it's it's stark. It's minimal. It's it's another world. It's very strange. Um, But besides that, we're so cut off also because our limited satellite time. Sometimes it takes me a second to remember the rest of the world exists while I'm down here. And I think some of that comes through in my TikToks. And um, yeah, it's just fascinating for people because it is so remote.
0: Do you feel like you could be down there forever? Or are there certain things that you're like pining for that you miss so much that you know you would go nuts without eventually?
2: Yeah, I couldn't do this forever um there's been discussions about who's extending their contract for next year and stuff like that and I've decided like I, I could not do two winters in a row I mean i I think I'd l- really like to do another winter in the future but maybe like two three years from now um definitely not forever uh the darkness does take a toll on you um I it's funny people like dream about what they miss back home and a lot of people you know dream about their kids or their spouse or the pets or something like that only thing i've been consistently dreaming about is the sun and thunderstorms um i just wow, really miss hearing this yeah i miss hearing the sound of rain like i haven't seen rain since like december and uh yeah it's just strange like it's a very much a recurring dream and i've never dreamt of like just seeing a sunset before it's, it's weird but I'm i'm from the gulf coast of florida i see sunsets all the time and that's probably what you know my brain's like hey where are these bring those back,
1: you know. Is there a food that you miss that you can't get down there? Yeah, actually. Um, haven't had a real egg in,
2: uh, you know, months. Also, we only have powdered milk because it's just too much weight to get actual like fresh milk down here, even frozen or whatever. So everything we have is powdered, um, which doesn't taste quite right. I'm a kind of like a cereal in the morning, every morning kind of person.
1: Huge cereal guy. Love that. Yeah, Love so
2: yeah. Uh, do you like powdered milk? Because if you don't, you might not make it down here because it has a weird taste to it for me.
1: Never had it. I'm a purist. Yeah, you might want to give it a shot before you come down here. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the eggs, the eggs thing, uh, have you ever heard of the pocket hard-boiled egg? Do you know what that is? No. What's that? So Tim invented this this concept. It's called the pocket hard-boiled egg, and Tim invented it. And it's where you put a hard-boiled egg in your pocket in the morning to go for a snack later on in the day. Oh, uh,
0: okay. So I do it a lot when I'm snowboarding or going on, like, a long a long hike during the day. Like, if I'm leaving my house early in the morning uh, to go do an outdoor activity, I will bring a hard-boiled egg with me. Just um, puts it and, right in his pocket. You know, that and a, and a mug of coffee and a piece of fruit, and I'm pretty much good, you know.
2: You know, I could I could actually get on board with that. I like I like some hard boiled eggs. I when you first said that, I thought you were talking about hard boiling an egg in your pocket, and I was like, I've got to hear this.
0: No, you could probably become impotent by doing that.
2: Okay, yeah, I, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, um, that's, we actually got a lot of hard boiled eggs here too. We like every time they had a batch of eggs that was about to you know expire or beyond its shelf life, they would just hard boil them, and then we'd have
1: a bunch of hard boiled eggs. And yeah, I miss those too. Last question before we move on to our next segment listener questions. Interacting with a lot of people via TikTok, what's like the the strangest interaction you've had with someone who follows you? People on the internet are pretty weird. So like, what's like yeah. the, the weirdest question, the weirdest comment you've gotten? TikTok comments can be kind of out there.
2: There's some dude who, at least I'm assuming it's a dude, who comments on both mine and my coworkers TikTok, um, Antoinette, and just keeps asking us if we poop outside which, like I don't even re- want to respond to this guy because <laughs> uh, like we don't and but I just I feel like, I feel like he's the kind of guy that's always gonna have a follow-up ridiculous follow-up question and so I just ignore him. but every single video is just like do you poop outside? <laughs>
1: is that not your opener line when you're like Tim when I'm sliding into anyone's DMs regardless of the reason that's that's what I ask. <laughs> that's like verbatim my line. do you poop outside? That's that's it. It's, that's we also never got a, get a response. Kind of weird, but maybe I should switch up my uh, my strategy. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> people don't. Maybe uh, it's a little gross. It's a classy opener. You Should stick with it. I think it's classy. So it. now that we've hit all the important yeah. subjects, um, <laughs> do, you, oh, do you have anything else to add to this this uh, poop outside thing or not? Well, I was just gonna
2: say, and that that's just the first thing that came to mind. But um, we also have tons of flat earthers and conspiracy theorists that come on uh, that just love to just spot off and say all the, but they're kind of all the same so none of them actually stand out to me um and i don't generally respond to them either usually usually i have a bunch of followers that jump on them for me so i don't have to really
1: if you had to be stuck down in antarctica with either poop outside guy or a flat earther who would you rather be stuck down there with
2: <laughs> oh man that'd be tough you know actually it'd be the flat earther because for First of all, I don't know who that poop outside guy is. You know, I don't, I have no idea. Flat earthers, I kind of have like a mild idea. And I would just love to hear their explanations of, of how they explain everything they're seeing. You know, like when they see the sun, like going in a circle in the sky during the summer, or when it's dark for six months, like, okay, how do you explain this with your flat earth model? You know, I think I'd find that entertaining.
1: Yeah. All right. Poop outside guy cannot catch a break. Nope. Anyway, we're going to get into uh, the listener question, which is our last segment here. Uh, so we have a listener submit a question that is uh, on topic and we will get your thoughts on it. So the question today sure. is after having traveled to Antarctica, do you think that anywhere else as a travel destination will we'll ever stack up? You know,
2: <laughs> Wow. That's very prescient. I um, was just, I've been thinking about this a lot over the past month or so um, because yeah, I've been thinking about what I'm going to do next, where I'm going to go next. Um, I'd love to keep the social media thing going as I'm as I'm traveling, and I'm just like, what else could top this? Because in my mind, this was it. Like, I'd, ironically, being at the bottom was the top for me, you know. So I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I've been, I've been looking at different destinations. Um, I definitely am fascinated by. Um, so I, last year I went to Vietnam, or sorry, two years ago now. COVID was a skip year. Yeah, a lost um, year. Two years ago I went to last year I went to Vietnam and did. Um, Went on a caving expedition through Sandong, which is like the largest cave in the world, which was, up until this point, the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and I'm just thinking about like how many of those are there left to do, you know, in the world. I'm sure, like, I'll keep exploring, but I don't know if any single thing will ever top this. Um, and I think that's gonna be hard for me because I really, I, I just don't, I, I don't know. I, I hope I hate to feel like I peaked, but this is for me like the peak of my goals as this far i've got to i've got to get back to work on some new goals
1: yeah hey i mean it's as andy bernard said in the office don't you wish you could know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them (laughs) so i feel like i feel like you know you're in the good old you're in the good old days right now i think so and i know I, i i'm pretty aware of that actually i've
2: even even little things like this light coming back on the horizon i um the four months of darkness are over and I'm almost a little sad that the light's coming back, you know, like I'm, I'm happy cause I see the light and it's beautiful and it's like, okay, the sun's coming back and I miss the sun, but part of me is sad that it's over, that the, that the long polar night is over. And, uh, I just know that I'm going to feel that way when I leave here. Like part of me's is always going to miss it. So hopefully I'll be back one day.
0: Well, that's a great note to close on there.
1: That is a great note to close on. Yeah. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Uh, where can people find you online, your YouTube, your TikTok. Yeah,
2: everything's Joe Spins the Globe on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Just search Joe Spins the Globe. You'll find all of them. Um, you guys have been great. It's been great being on here. Uh, let me know if I can do anything else for you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much. Right
0: on. Thanks, man.
1: Take care, Joe. Cool. Take care, guys. Well, thanks again to Joe for coming to us all the way from the bottom of the world. And welcome to News of the Day, our segment where we'll be talking about. Some trending news in the world of travel. First up today is this story about an investor and TikToker who made a video where he talks about how he and his friends plan luxury vacations. He basically has a spreadsheet that outlines the whole group's individual incomes, PTO days, and probably most interesting and revealing, uh, their gambling habits. And the spreadsheet is called the Forbes friend list and they all make up to about five million dollars each a year is there anything more douchey that you've heard this week Tim
0: absolutely not I mean this guy is obviously you know a douche but it's just interesting that that plays into so much of his planning like this is almost like a Martin Screlly situation you know like what like he could not have possibly come across any worse
1: you see my issue with this is actually not that he's doing this list or has this list or even they calls it the forest friend list it's that he made a video and broadcast it to the entire world you know if this is how you want to if this is what your friends incomes are and this is how you plan trips and that's what works for you go ahead and do it you know i think some of the items on there are what kind of restaurants like how, how expensive the restaurants are that the friends are willing to eat at whether they're willing to split a private flight so i guess if you're in that tax bracket those are the issues that that matter to you so go ahead if that's where you your friends want to plan a trip go do it by all means the issue here is that he's like let me make a TikTok video and broadcast to the entire world how much money we all make and how fucking insufferable i am like, can you be less relatable than this guy right here? All of us are out here barely able to afford to travel and coach. Meanwhile, this guy is showing us spreadsheets with his million-dollar travel budget. Get the fuck out of here.
0: You know, the thing about this is is it's a lack of self-awareness, which is something that you've brought up on the show many times. But it, this is a lack of self-awareness. This guy is doing this. This is the same guy that in middle school had the pocket protector and loved to show off his – his Palm Pilot when he's in the lunchroom. It's the same guy that is still trying to impress the girl that shot him down in high school by bragging about how much money he has now. Like this is a lack of self-awareness completely of how he's coming off to the masses.
1: I thought Tim, you were gonna say, like, oh, Evan, you know this. You're the least self-aware person I know. I thought I thought that's where you were going with that with that uh, that answer. I was like, okay, Tim, that's fine, good talk. But well, for now we will not give this guy too much time on our show. We're going to move on to our second piece of news. Tim, you got this one for us?
0: Yeah, so the second one is a little more lighthearted but uh equally as disgusting. So, the TSA, which everybody knows and loves, allows passengers to bring frozen foods in both carry-on and checked bags. However, the food has to be packaged with ice or ice packs in a cooler or another equivalent container. There was a story that I actually first heard about on Jimmy Fallon last night, and then we have covered it at Matador Network as well. Uh, there were raw chicken parts circling the baggage carriage at the Seattle airport, uh, literally not wrapped, frozen raw chicken.
1: So it was frozen. So they were they were on ice, and it was uh you know being kept from spo- spoiling, I guess, right? Like it it's had, not.
0: It had clearly recently been on ice, but at the moment, no. It was literally a block. Like a a cube-shaped frozen chicken block, like a cube-shaped block of frozen chicken parts rotating around the carousel, unwrapped.
1: Okay, so raw chicken guy was a passenger who brought his own chicken on a plane for some reason, and it fell out of its check luggage onto the carousel. What I want to know is, (laughs) if the airline somehow lost your raw chicken and had to retrieve it for you a few days later, just like they do with any lost luggage, would they do it? Like, would they send along a thawed block of now rotten chicken to your house? Because they kind of have to, right?
0: I mean, the, the, the best thing about this and what we're going to link to here in the show notes is the, the highlight of the travel world right now is the TSA's hilarious Instagram post, which featured this with the quote, Can chickens fly? Well, assuredly, no poultry is flying like this. We hear at one time these wings and thighs were cooped up in a cooler. Somewhere between baggage and the carousel, they became free range.
1: What came first, Tim? The chicken or the pocket hard boiled egg?
0: I'd go with chicken just because you gotta. Once you boil that egg, it's not producing any baby chickens.
1: Okay. Hey, I'm Team Raw Chicken Guy here. I think he's misunderstood. Free Raw Chicken Guy, Justice for Raw Chicken Guy. If you're listening, no
0: one else gets you, but I do. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Tim Winger1 on Instagram. He's EvanFlow underscore. See you guys next week.